Hello, and welcome to The Bible and Culture, a podcast that combines a life-shaping study of the scriptures, the authentic ministry of Christian poetry, and practical observations of our culture. I'm Vernon L. Harper, minister, poet, and author. Join me in exploring content that builds the Christian life, equips the Christian poet, and explores issues important to us all. Thank you for tuning in, and God bless. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is entitled The Value and Purpose of the Bible. This lesson explores how the Bible helps the Christian in real everyday life. And the way things have gone in 2020, we need all the real help we can get. The poem for today's episode is entitled My Poetry, and as its name implies, describes the nature and purpose of my poetry. This poem is from the book Christian Poems and Other Radical Explorations, available on Amazon. You can find out more about this poem on our newly launched HDIF Patreon page. HDIF stands for Heart of David International Fellowship, and I am pastoring HDIF on our Patreon page. You should visit the About Us section on our page and find out more about our ministry and what it means to pastor on Patreon. Now on to the episode. My Poetry I am not, nor am I striving to be, sufficiently nonspecific or poetically vague, toying with the truth as a kitten with an expired mouse. I am, and I am striving to be, sufficiently specific and caustically direct. Mine is not the kitten, but the lion, doing battle for the truth as its only means of sustenance. I haven't seen anybody vaguely pulled from a burning building. I haven't seen anybody non-specifically warn that they were walking off a cliff. I cannot waltz the truth in ballroom fashion. I must the dance of Jacob, and I've got the limp to prove it. Mine is not the saccharine taste of the rose-colored glass. Mine is the taste of blood from a ruptured lip in the 15th round. In the 15th round, there is no time for vagueness. The Value and Purpose of the Bible Today's lesson is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. And it reads, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, those of you who are listening to this message in a small group setting, I would like you to politely look at someone with you and say, shame on you if you don't read your Bible. If you are by yourself, please point your finger at your own forehead and not so politely say, shame on you if you don't read your Bible. If you are listening to this in your car, Keep both hands on your will. Do not point at anything or anybody. You're not blaming me for any accident. 
Whether you are able to point or not, you still get my larger point that it is a shame if we don't read the Bible. We as English speaking people are without excuse. We have so many good and credible Bible translations that it's almost embarrassing. If you want a Bible in a professional business language, we have the New International Version. If you want a more poetic reading like in the New King James, you can choose that. If you want a plain, everyday, conversational translation, you can grab the New Living Translation. In addition to all these translations available, which are too numerous to mention here, we have Bible dictionaries, word studies, and lexicons, and concordances, etc., etc., etc. And with all of these Bible translations and numerous Bible helps, we most times don't go beyond reading a little five-minute devotional every day. If we even read that. Don't get me wrong, I have been greatly blessed by devotionals. There are times when I received the exact encouragement I needed because someone texted me a picture of a page of a devotional. But my point is the devotional is a snack, but the Bible is the actual meal. There are 2000 years of Bible scholarship comprising the most expansive, comprehensive and detailed examination of any book in the history of mankind. The Bible has been studied historically, linguistically, philosophically, theologically, and scientifically, and the vast majority of that knowledge is available in the English language. It doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, but if your knowledge of the Bible is based only on your adolescent Sunday school or your sporadic church attendance or something similar, your opinion on the Bible is misinformed. The truth is the word of God is the only thing that can sustain us at such a time as this. But before we get to just how the Bible can sustain us, we have to review some foundational biblical information. We must do this to lay the groundwork for understanding for how the Bible should fit into the normal Christian life. This detour might feel like a message within a message, but I promise you it's necessary to get us where we have to go. If you hang in there, we will arrive at our conclusion right on time. To keep us on track and point us to where we're going during this detour, I want you to keep this phrase in mind. When we read the word of God, our pathway is revealed. Let me, let me repeat that. When we read the word of God, our pathway is revealed. Keep that in the back of your mind. Now on to our detour. The first thing we should understand is that human beings are made up of spirit, soul and body. In the scripture for today's lesson, the writer of Hebrews speaks metaphorically of the word of God cleaving between soul and spirit, letting us know that the soul and spirit are two separate things. Then in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, we read, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Spirit, soul, and body. And in Genesis 2, 7, we read, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God breathed his spirit into the body that he formed from the dust of the earth, and man became a living soul. Spirit, soul, body. So the way humanity, Adam and Eve, functioned before the fall 
was the human spirit carried the image and likeness of God. As this image and likeness filled the abilities of humanity's created body, it was expressed into creation as a living soul. Now, a little bit about each part of humanity. We don't have time to go in depth here, but we need this introduction for the larger message. The human spirit's function is to carry the image and likeness of God. The human spirit operates in communion, discernment, and conscience. The soul's function is to express God's image and likeness into creation. The soul is made up of the will, the intellect, and the emotion. The body's function is to interact with the material world and carry sensual or the information provided by the senses to the soul. The body's function functions are self-preservation, appetite, and reproduction. I would like to go into more detail, but we don't have the time today. I, I will do a bonus episode on, on it in uh, November on our HDIF Patreon page. Now, I don't expect you to memorize every detail, even of what we're talking about today. I just assumed you were taking notes, except for you all driving. You keep you still keep your hands on the wheel. Now, the body and soul together are referred to as the flesh in Scripture. Flesh has a negative connotation in Scripture because the flesh was mainly referenced after its corruption at the fall of humanity. But before the fall in Genesis, the second chapter, God says that the man and the woman would become one flesh. The flesh here is referred to in the positive. So we know that the flesh, which is the body and soul operating together, was not always corrupt. The best way I know how to illustrate how the spirit, soul and body function before the fall is the one used by the writer Watchman Nee in his book, The Spiritual Man. Nee likened the nature of humanity to a light bulb. The invisible electricity is like the invisible spirit. The glass filaments and other parts of the bulb are like the body. As the invisible electricity fills the bulb that was designed to receive it, the bulb expressed the light just as when the invisible spirit fills the body that was designed to receive it, the body expresses the soul into creation. The physical bulb and light are the only thing visible from the light bulb. The flesh or body and soul is the only thing visible of humanity. This all changed after the fall. After the fall, the human spirit was subdued. The spirit's communion with God, its communion with the rest of humanity, and its communion with the rest of creation was corrupted. The spirit's discernment was dull. The spirit's conscience grew quiet and was increasingly ignored. Human flesh was exalted and corrupted by the enemy. The enemy continuously strives to manipulate us through our flesh. We are at war with this manipulation. The enemy wants us to be more sensual, living through the feelings and senses of human flesh. You can tell the spiritual nature of a person or even a nation by how much they are controlled and express the sensual nature. When what we feel is in charge, then the enemy can control us at will. If you are having a good day, all he has to do is touch your emotions and you will tear down everything you have built up that thus far. We see this in our nation's politics. Western nations laws are built on Western rationalism. The exchange of ideas. Now we can only exchange emotional reactions, not ideas. 
It's one thing to become emotional about an idea, but it's another altogether to be emotionally for or against something and can't even explain why. The enemy uses our sensual nature to make us feel discouraged, depressed, and angry. Our relationships become toxic because of our hyper-stimulated feelings. We lash out and make things worse because of our sensual nature. And so it goes. When any of the New Testament apostles spoke about this, they assumed we already knew about this war. For example, Ephesians 6 and 10 through 17 reads, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. No matter what your feelings tell you, your enemy is not your sneaky co-worker, your argumentative family member or that barista that got your cafe latte wrong. Your enemy is not any human being at all. Your enemy is the spiritual kingdom behind their sensual action. And while we're at it, your sensual responses also. Again, for some of us, the devil, all the devil has to do is touch our emotions and we will try to kill a mosquito with a shotgun. So how do we stand? The scripture continues. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darks of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Notice that all the weapons mentioned are defensive weapons except one. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God to be victorious and not passive or defeated by our sensual nature. Our main weapon must be the sword of the spirit. This is the end of our detour. This brings us back to our original scripture, Ephesians 4 and 12. Let's read it again. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you will allow me to extend Paul's metaphor and say that the double-edged sword of the word of God can free your spirit from the domination of the soul by cutting it free, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. The Bible is not just words on a page. The Bible is living and active and can awaken your spirit and subdue your flesh. The Bible is able to do this because when we read the word, our pathway is revealed. Now, there are two Greek words translated word in the English Bible. They are logos and rhema. Logos is the direct interpretation of the words in the word of God. We find logos in the root of some of our English words. For instance, biology That logi at the end tells us that it is the science, truth, or understanding of bios. We can study logos, we can memorize logos, and we can know what logos says even if we don't understand its meaning. 
Logos is the interpretation of the words contained in the word. The same logos the apostles taught is the same logos we teach today. It doesn't change. Jesus died for our sins and rose on the third day. This is the same logos the apostles taught, and we still teach that logos today. Rhema, on the other hand, is a tailor-made word just for you in your situation. You can't find COVID-19 in the Bible. The Bible has no advice about coronavirus. But when you are worried about your soul in distress and your flesh is tormenting you about how your family's safety will be sustained in these times, you can read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and God's spirit will get in that word and subdue your flesh and encourage your spirit. Rhema is not intellectual knowledge. Rhema is that God given revelation from your spirit. You start your day thinking all is lost, but you read the word and before long you are saying everything is going to be all right. But someone might ask you, why is everything going to be all right? And you will answer, I don't know. This knowledge is not of my will. It's not in my emotion and it's not in my intellect. My flesh has nothing to do with this knowledge. This is because God gave you a rhema and it has ignited the original functions of your spirit and your spirit has enlightened your soul. Your spirit operated in the discernment that everything is going to be all right. Your spirit participated in personal communion with God that lets you know you are not alone. Your spirit expressed a conscience that directs you in what you are going to do next. Because when we read the word, our pathway is revealed. This is the essence of revelation. God through his spirit using the word of God to reveal truth to your spirit and your spirit expressing this truth through your body as a living soul. This is what a human being was created by God to do. The word of God allows your spirit to discern your current circumstance, commune with the almighty God and clear your conscience of all doubt. If we only live our flesh we will not be capable of living a successful Christian life. Giving us experiential knowledge and situational awareness about the material world around us was what the flesh was originally designed to do. Before the fall, the flesh was led by the spirit. So it only provided material information, but it wasn't designed to interpret its meaning. Since the fall, the flesh is still capable of giving us experiential knowledge and situational awareness, but cannot give us accurate spiritual understanding of what's going on around us. This is what material knowledge is. Knowledge that bases its decision-making process on the limited material understandings of the flesh. Let me say that one more time. This is what material knowledge is. Knowledge that bases its decision-making process on the limited material understandings of the flesh. Spiritual revelation is the spirit taking that same material knowledge gathered by the flesh and giving us a true understanding and directing our right action. When we read the word of God, our pathway is revealed. The logos and rhema of the word will free our spirit and subdue our flesh and reveal to us the truth about our situation. 
Now your flesh might fight against what your spirit reveals and you can begin to second guess what that spirit has revealed to you. This is natural because your flesh with its material understandings cannot access the truth of scripture. Only God given revelation provided through the discernment, communion and conscience of your spirit can do that. So the more we consume the word of God, the more our spirit is free to act. And the more our spirit is free to act, the more of the word we understand. And it becomes a continuous cycle of revelation to revelation as we grow in God and victory. If we consume a steady diet of the word of God, then our spirit is awakened and our flesh is subdued. And we live in this spiritual revelation of God and not the material understandings of our flesh. Logos and Rhema are two Greek words, but that doesn't mean they are two different things. Logos and Rhema are two different benefits of the same word of God. Logos and Rhema working together give us a complete understanding of the word of God and how to live a Christian life in this fallen world. When you read the Bible, you don't just get words about your situation, but you read the word, you get God in your situation. When you read the word, you invite the living God into your soul. When you read the word, you speak God. The spirit uses that word to defend your soul from the world and the devil and your own flesh. The word cuts discouragement. The word cuts confusion. The word cuts the fear of your circumstance. The word gives you victory. The word makes you hang in there. The word gives you peace of mind. I dare you to raise your hands and thank God for his word. And unless you are still driving, then you just got to wait. When we read the word of God, our pathway is revealed. And when it is revealed, the Bible has priceless value and real life purpose in your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of sharing your word and receiving it. We thank you for continually teaching us in and out of your word. Open our hearts, open our mind, open our spirits, so we will understand the value of daily study and reading of your word. Help us to know we access you more. We give you more access to our lives when we read the word. Now bless everyone under the sound of my voice. Bless their situations, calm their mind. Make them feel better as they read the word. Heal us, deliver us, set us free. Touch us by the mighty power of your hand. And we thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus, amen. by this week's episode of The Bible and Culture. 
If you were, share this episode on social media and look us up on our HDIF Patreon page. HDIF on Patreon is where we have bonus episodes, the ability to chat, and the rest of our pastoral ministry. Thank you and God bless. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Amen.